Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners. I'm Josh Popachak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with the headlines for the week ending October 15th, 2021. Of course, the election is coming up. It's only a couple weeks away now, and so election season is in full gear here in the Saucon Valley, the Southern Lehigh area, and all over the Lehigh Valley. This being an odd-numbered year, of course, it's a local election year, and that means we have school board races, borough council and township council races on the ballot, and also some important district judge races coming up. This week, we covered a candidate forum for the Saucon Valley School Board, and that was held at Saucon Valley High School and presented by Northampton Community College. There was a decent turnout for it. It was a little difficult to tell how many people were there because the auditorium is quite large, but I think it was at least 50 or 60, most likely, and it was about an hour and a half long. Five of the seven candidates participated in it, and they were John Conti, Shamim Paxad, Cedric Detmar, Vivian Demko, and Robert Phillips. The format for the forum, which was not a debate, that was stressed multiple times, included the opportunity for each candidate to spend a couple minutes introducing themselves, talking about why they're running for school board and what they hope to accomplish. They also had concluding remarks, and in between, they were asked about six questions, several of which were prepared by the moderator, Sam Chen, who's a professor of political science at Northampton, and several of which were submitted by audience members. We did take copious notes during the event, and you'll find the answers to two of the questions in the article I wrote, which was published on Sock and Source on Friday. There is also a link to a video recording of the forum, which I don't believe was live streamed, but the video recording was uploaded by one of the candidates, Vivian Demko, to her YouTube channel. So I included that so people can listen to all of the answers, hopefully. The questions that I highlighted in my story are regarding COVID vaccine mandates, and that was sort of in a way a hypothetical because at this point there is no approved vaccine yet for younger children so the answers to that were were interesting candidates also shared their views about masking and just in general the response that the district has had to covid was a major topic of discussion during this forum as you can imagine the two incumbents who were on the stage highlighted what they believe has been the district's effective response to the pandemic, and that has included keeping kids in the classroom all throughout. Saucon Valley, of course, was one of the few districts in the area and perhaps even in the country that never had a period where all students were learning strictly online. That was a decision made by the board in the summer of 2020. They would have the option of in-person learning 
with safety protocols in place for all students if they wanted to take advantage of that. About 80% of families ultimately did. And the results of a survey that one of the incumbent board members, Shameen Paxad, highlighted, he said, indicated that it was the right decision with the vast majority of parents who responded to the survey saying they were satisfied or very satisfied with the district's response to COVID. Of course, there were times when the various schools did close temporarily due to the number of cases, and that was by regulation, essentially, they were following the the guidance of the Pennsylvania Department of Health. That has not happened this year, at least in Saucon Valley. It has happened in some other area districts. However, things are, of course, a little bit different this year overall. The other question that was submitted by an audience member was regarding critical race theory and the candidates' views on it. This was also sort of a kind of hypothetical question because critical race theory, which is a theory that essentially posits that racism is deeply embedded in various government and cultural and other institutions in the United States. This has become a talking point, a political football, as one candidate put it, all throughout the U.S. over the past year, specifically since the murder of George Floyd and racial tensions increasing in the wake of that. To my knowledge, very few, if any, public school districts are teaching critical race theory. It's sort of a higher level academic theory for the most part, or it has been in the past, but it's become a kind of boogeyman for certain voters with certain belief systems. And that was apparent during the forum, certainly with answers to that question diverging quite a bit. The one thing that pretty much everybody agreed on was that there is racism in America, that it does exist. And if it exists in America, it exists logically, you know, in every community and in every school district. The real question, though, is what is going to be done about it now and in the future? And that was where opinions diverged quite a bit. I don't want to characterize the opinions. I'd rather that you read the quotes for yourself. And of course, you can do that by reading the article on Saucon Source. And I hope it will be enlightening for you. Our goal is certainly to provide as much pre-election information that is accurate and objective as we can. I wish we could do more. It's very labor-intensive to cover elections, especially when you have many candidates running for office. That's the case in our local school board elections this year. In Saucon Valley, there are seven candidates vying for four seats. In Southern Lehigh, it's nine candidates vying for four seats. We're also going to be covering the Lower Saucon Township Council and Hellertown Borough Council elections. And like I said, I would like to cover more with additional manpower. It would probably be possible. So who knows, maybe in the future. Uh, but if you keep supporting us by becoming a member of Sock and Source, that will be even more likely to happen. And certainly that's something that I want to do. In other news, we reported on a teenage girl who is missing, according to Lower Saucon Township Police. They said, Soleil Detren. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, disappeared from the 1800 block of Viola Lane early on Monday, October 11th. She is, I believe, 15 years old, and she was last seen in the early morning hours around 1230 a.m. Police did say that she is a runaway, and they also said 
She could have traveled to the Whitehall or Reading areas. We have a photo of her along with that article, so check that out and share it, please. In other news, the Hellertown Lower Saucon Chamber of Commerce is quite busy with upcoming fall events. We hope you'll add them to your calendar. The chamber is sponsoring a dine and donate evening at McDonald's of Hellertown on October 27th. This is from 4 to 8 p.m. A percentage of proceeds from sales during that time period will benefit the Chamber's Scholarship Fund, which benefits Saucon Valley High School graduates. Also, the following day, October 28th, there will be an event called Lost Spirits from the Past at Lost River Caverns. We are proud to be a potion sponsor for that, and our good friends at Creekview Veterinary Hospital are the presenting sponsors. Tickets are $10 per person, and there's a link to register in our story, so that's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it, and I hope you will consider attending. That's our roundup for this week. We hope you have a great week ahead. Hey, Panther fans, Coach Reeve coming at you with a scouting report for this week's matchup between the Salkin Valley Panthers and the Lehighton Indians. The 3-4 and four Panthers will make the trip up to Lehighton, who is 1-6. Kickoff on Friday is scheduled for 7 p.m. Lehighton's record so far is one win and six losses. They lost to Palmerton 46-13. They beat Tamaqua Week 2 55-42 in a shootout. Lost to Wilson Week 3 42-21. Lost to Northwestern Lehigh, 49-7. Lost to Pottsville, 43-8. Lost to Blue Mountain, 35-22. Lost to Bangor last week, 50-14. Salkin Valley, as I said, 3-4 record. They lost to Notre Dame Green Pond, 47-20. They lost at Pottsville, 35-7. Lost that heartbreaker to Wilson, 24-22. And last week, homecoming dropped to Southern Lehigh, 31-17. Salkin Valley does have three wins in the win column, 31-14 week two over Salisbury, Blue Mountain 35-14, and two weeks ago 36-22 over the Bangor Slaters. Look at those common opponents, Pottsville. Salkin Valley lost to Pottsville 35-7. Lee Heighton lost to Pottsville 43-8. Wilson, Salkin Valley lost to Wilson 24-22. Lee Heighton lost 42-21. Blue Mountain, Salkin Valley won 35-14. Lee Heighton lost to Blue Mountain 35-22. Saucon Valley defeated Bangor 36-22. And last week, Lee Heighton got blown out by Bangor 50-14. On paper, advantage Saucon Valley. Let's talk about Lee Heighton's offense against the Saucon Valley defense. Lee Heighton scores an average of 19 points per game. The Saucon Valley defense gives up about 27. Lee Heighton operates primarily from a shotgun tight end trips formation. They come across as a run first, short pass, and screen pass team. Their quarterback, number 12, Brady O'Donnell, is the engine of the Indian offense. O'Donnell's a sophomore who's listed 6'1", 150 pounds. Number 11, Hunter Crum, looks like Lee Heighton's best running back. He's a bruiser and a junior that stands 6'1", 190. He'll be looking for someone to meet in the hole. Number 15, Zach Miller's also a senior. He'll get some running reps as well. Miller's listed at 5'10", 165. On the receiving end of O'Donnell's throws will be the Rarick brothers. Number 28, Ian, is 5'11", 170 pounds. He's a junior. Number 26, Aiden, the little brother, is 5'9", 150. He's a sophomore. Junior number four, Ethan Buckert, 
is also on O'Donnell's radar. He measures 5'10", 165. Tight end, Luke Block, number 5. He's 6'1", 170, and a junior. Lee Hyten's offensive line has a couple of big boys. Let's start with the tackles. They're the biggest. Number 76, senior, Gage Hartner, 6'1", 245. He's big, but not the biggest. Number 74, senior, Richard Hauser, 6'4", 265 pounds. At center, Lee Hyten has number 52, senior, Brendan Zimmerman, 5'11", 220. Not only are they big, but they are experienced as well. Their guards, not so big. Number 58, sophomore Cooper Hartzell, 5'8", 190. And number 55, junior Douglas Endy, 5'9", 180. So you take the big with the little there. They do have some size. Big fear for the Panthers is putting Hartney next to Hauser on one side of the line and creating a mammoth line. We'll have to see how Lee Heighton plays that. What about Lee Heighton's defense against Saucon Valley's offense? The Indians run a base 3-4 defense. They have also shown a 4-3 with three deep coverage with some frequency. It is clear, however, that Lee Heighton is comfortable playing cover zero and matching up man-to-man across the board and packing the box with seven or eight defenders. Saucon Valley is averaging 24 points per game so far. Seeing that Lee Heighton gives up an average of 38 points per game, it is reasonable to assume the Panthers should score at least four or five touchdowns. If that is the case, hopefully the Saucon defense can keep the Indians bottled up when they have the ball and not let them piece together too many scoring drives. The Panthers do have a solid core of playmakers to put points on the scoreboard. Among those playmakers is number 12 dual threat Dante Mahaffey. He's a senior. This season he is 62 of 104 for 984 yards passing. He has a 61% completion percentage. Dante averages about 131 yards passing per game and has seven passing touchdowns offset by three interceptions. This season, rushing the ball, Dante has 90 carries for 623 yards. That averages out to almost 89 yards per game. Mahaffey has crossed into the end zone nine times so far this season. At 215 pounds, he is not all that easy to bring down. For his career, he has 3,200 yards passing and 32 touchdowns so far. Keep an eye on number 21, Damian Garcia. Garcia, a senior, is the Panthers' most productive running back. He has 69 carries for 353 yards this season, which is good for five yards per carry. He has seven touchdowns. Garcia is due for an explosive game. Number 11, Ty Sensitz. He's a senior. He has been the Panthers' most productive receiver. Ty climbed into the 1,000-yard club for his career with 1,282 receiving yards. This season, he has 32 catches for 565 yards and three TDs. Let's hope Sensitz and Mahaffey can work their magic and get their mojo going. Number three, junior Alex Magnata is also on Mahaffey's radar. He is 6'3 with good hands and can make big plays. Magnata has 15 catches for 255 yards and three touchdowns this season. So, it is shaping up to be a great night for some high school football on Friday. With a 3-4 and four record, the Panthers are looking to get back to even. But the Indians, who are on a current five-game losing streak, are no doubt desperate to get another little something into the wing column. Desperation and fear can be awesome motivators. Hopefully the Panthers are motivated to lock in and earn themselves a winning season. Once again, turnovers and penalties are always a great equalizer. As long as Salkin plays a clean game, the smart money will be on the Panthers to get out of Lehigh with a victory. If the Panther defense can force the Indians into multiple punting situations, it will greatly increase their chances to secure win number four. However, if Lehigh's punter is getting bored on the bench, then the Panthers could find themselves in a dogfight. Friday night is looking to be beautiful. It'll be dry with temperatures currently forecast in the upper 60s throughout the game. 
Being dry with a light breeze, it should be a very pleasant night. So why not head north to Lee Height for another fantastic night of high school football? Good luck, Panthers. The source is with you. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community, and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online, and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members, and thank you for considering becoming a future member. This week on No Rain Date, we are celebrating the lead up to Halloween. And with that in mind, we are thrilled to welcome our friend and ghost storyteller extraordinaire, Ellen Flynn, back for a second time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Josh. This is really fun. Absolutely. I look forward to this every year. Well, we had a great time having you here last year. We learned a lot about the Lehigh Valley's haunted history. Mm-hmm. And we're going to learn some more today and specifically about the restaurants of the Lehigh Valley, mm-hmm. uh, many of which are in historic buildings yes. and have long histories as bars and restaurants. And you've done some copious research into <laughs> their histories and, and you're going to tell us some spooky findings. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm happy to. Yeah, I I was when I was, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to talk about for the podcast. There's so much out there that I kind of had to narrow it down. And so I thought restaurants would be fun because they're accessible. Mm-hmm. So often when you talk about places that are haunted and this and that, it might be a private residence or it might be somewhere maybe you don't have access to, you know, abandoned places and and things but restaurants are accessible you can go there you can go have a meal you can you know explore for yourself they're open and accessible so I thought that would be fun to talk about and also restaurants have had a really tough year and a half so right. um, <laughs> you so know don't hopefully, let those ghosts keep you away no you should go and explore them and have a meal and have some spirits in the bar <laughs> 
So the first uh, one I would like to talk about is the King George Inn. Now that is not currently a restaurant anymore. It was a restaurant for many, many years. However, a lot of people might remember that there was a big ruckus. They were going to tear it down. Mm-hmm. And people put up a big fuss about it, which is a good thing because that building is still standing. They have redeveloped that that property from what I could find. And this is at a, a major intersection this in Allentown. Is, yes, this Peter is South Christ. Whitehall Township. Right. And it is a major intersection. And they were going to tear it down and put up like um, a pharmacy and a hotel and this and that. Well, what they did was they have renovated the building and they are incorporating it into what they are putting in. And from what I have read, there was a 100 room hotel that was going to be going in. If it hasn't gone in already, I'm not really sure. Plus a drugstore and a commercial building, possibly a bank. But the King George Inn still stands. And mm. so I think that's a testament to people pushing back and saying, hey, this is a historic building. You know, you can't right. just tear these things down. And so you are still, you will still be able to go into the King George Inn, whatever purpose it's serving now. It seems like, you it know, might be you'll a Starbucks. Still... Right, but... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the King George Inn is extremely old and historical. There are actually four sections to the building as we knew it when when it was the King George Inn. Now, I don't know what it looks like now. It says that the facade was restored to how it looked in the 19th century. And the inside was restored to what they call an adaptive reuse. So I don't know what that means, but how we remember it as the King George Inn, there were four sections to the building. And the oldest section dated back to about 1755 when it was built. And that was right around the time of the French and Indian War. We weren't even a nation (laughs) Mm -hmm. when that was built. So it's really cool. It had additions made to it in 1790. 1796 and then 1930 and since it was built in 1755 it served as a tavern and an inn for travelers but it also served as the center of the community it served as a town hall a meeting house a courthouse a church and it was also steeped in revolutionary war history washington's troops camped out and did their drills in the fields behind it of course the officers probably stayed in the inn and not outside in the field but it's also said that secret meetings for the sons of liberty took place there so Mm. it had a lot of history to it okay so now for the good stuff the hauntings (laughs) (laughs) during the french and indian war in the mid 1700s like i mentioned native americans had attacked the inn and killed most of the patrons that were inside of it including a young mother and a baby The story goes that they allegedly threw the baby down the cistern, which is a tactic that they used quite a bit back then because what it would do is pollute the water supply. So they would throw bodies down the wells um, to pollute the, contaminate the water supply. And so people have heard the sounds of a baby crying near where the cistern was located. There's also a ghost of a man who allegedly hung himself in the upper staircase and he's been named Charlie. He's been seen and felt all over the the King George Inn. He seems friendly and like a prankster from all the stories that we've heard. I I think he he likes to move things around and just he's not, you know, he just seems playful, you know? Mm -hmm. There's also been a colonial woman and a little girl seen together on the first floor. 
And a colonial man with a beard has interacted with guests and employees. And one employee had said that he appeared to them in a stock room and was silently laughing before disappearing right before the employee's eyes. And there have been lots of Revolutionary War soldiers seen throughout as well. And I also want to give a shout out to Pennsylvania Paranormal for the information, uh, huh. some of the information I got for this. They, they've they done an investigation there. So. Oh, okay. Yep. So a lot of that I got from them. So shout out to them. Did you ever eat there when it was <laughs> I open? did, yeah, years ago. Yeah, probably 15 or 20 years ago. Okay. I, I ate there. Yeah, it was, was great. It was there. beautiful. Beautiful. I, it had a great reputation back in yeah, the day. Yeah, the food was wonderful. Yeah. And it was really, really cozy inside. It's, it's hard to, I mean, it is totally surrounded by modern development, yeah. today, basically. So, yeah. you know, to go back to 1755 when that was the frontier, yeah. I mean, you have to really take all that away and imagine in your mind just dense woods. Mm-hmm. And this, this would have been the middle of nowhere. Absolutely. And just that alone to me is kind of a scary thought, you know, mm-hmm. like you're, you're out in the forest and... I guess it would help that you were at a tavern, no, but... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. That would take the edge off things a little. Right. Um, yeah, but it, it seemed like it was, you know, a, a beacon to the community that it served so many purposes throughout its yeah. its life, even way back then, you know, like a meeting house and even a church, so... Right. It was always a, uh, seemed like a positive thing to the community. Right. And as long as it's preserved, who knows, maybe someday it will be a restaurant again. Mm-hmm. Cause, right. you know, but once these buildings are gone, they're gone forever. They're gone. They're gone. We've seen that happen too many times. So kudos to that community yes. for stepping up. For, and, for and everybody for putting up a, a fight over that. Sometimes it does pay, right. pay off. I know um, we're going to hear about another restaurant that didn't survive. Right. Yeah, I can talk about that now. I mean, that is the Newburgh Inn in Nazareth. And that was just torn down, I think, maybe, what, a week ago? Oh, was it last month? I think it was sometime yeah, in September. Was I mean, a it was known that it was going to be demolished right, before for a that, while. But, but there was right. still a lot of sadness about it. And I saw yeah. people posting on Facebook yep. about it. It was sort of a victim of, of its location, I yes. think, partly because it was very close to the road it was. And, and sort of standing in the way of progress, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, I think they they tore it down to widen that intersection, which I could see the need for, but wow, I mean, that was built in 1750, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it seems such a shame, and that was tough seeing the pictures of literal rubble of the building. It was just reduced to rubble. But that was apparently very, very haunted. Hmm. So like I said, that was built in 1750. And I'm not going to talk too much about it because it's not there any longer. But that served as a stagecoach stop, an Indian trading post, a homestead, and during the French and Indian War, provided protection from Native American attacks. Now, according to legend, a Native American was hanged in the attic of the building and other stories tell of an apparition of a little girl that patrons, both patrons and employees say frequent the bar. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it it was considered to be extremely haunted and there were some claims that over 30 spirits haunted the Newburgh Inn. So it was incredibly haunted, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and it was located on Route 191 yes. at Newburgh Road. Yes. I believe that's Lower Nazareth Township. Yes, it's Nazareth, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so sort of like in between Bethlehem and, and right. Nazareth. 
Yeah, I have great memories of eating there with oh, my grandparents yeah. as a kid. I think they had a salad bar. They did. They had a salad bar, which yeah, was fantastic. Which you don't really and see you don't, right? Yeah. Um, um, it was kind of like yeah, traditional cuisine, very, steaks and seafood. Yes. It was and, very cozy in there. Yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah, of it was dark. Kind of dark. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which well, I think for the that ghosts era, like it like that. That you know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, we will miss the New Bergen. Yes. It was it was part of our shared uh, history for mm-hmm. over 250 years. Yep. It's a shame that it had to come down. Certainly, I would be wary about taking a piece of that rubble. If you know, who knows, it might still have some uh, right some spirits uh, right. anchored to it. Well, I I heard that they had an auction for some of the things from inside of the restaurant and there was one item that was and i forgive me i can't remember all the details but that was supposedly haunted and one of the owners of a local restaurant purchased it and we will be talking about that restaurant as well later on that is the hanoverville roadhouse okay which isn't too far from no not at all very cool great yeah, so the next restaurant I think that we'll talk about is the Sun Inn on Main Street in Bethlehem. Another very, very old building, long history. Again, built before we were even a nation. It was built by the Moravians in 1758. It was built actually for non-Moravian visitors and travelers. And it had several high-profile guests, including George and Martha Washington, Ben Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, John Adams, Sam Adams, and John Hancock, to name a few. The original structure was built, like I said, in 1758, and it was two stories, and this, I had to double check this, this sounded so small to me, it was 40 by 66 feet. Doesn't that sound small? Yeah. Yeah, right? So, but that's what I found in everywhere I looked. It was two stories, 40 by 66 feet. And it had a basement and an attic. And then it also mentioned a second attic, which I don't really understand what that is. I think that's the way, the roof, like, is a sloped roof. And it has, like, two sets of dormers on it. So maybe that's, like, the upper attic. Maybe. Or... I've I've never been up there, but... Yeah, yeah. I've been to the Sun Inn. I've eaten there. That was many years ago. It was beautiful. And I think they gave us a quick tour as well before our meal. But in 1826, a third story was added. And then in the 1850s, a fourth floor was added with a flat roof. And then in 1921, it had a major overhaul in which the ceiling of the first floor was raised. And then the second floor was completely eliminated during that renovation in 1921. So it has a very long and and rich history. So the Sun Inn was actually investigated by the show Ghost Hunters. If you remember that show, they came, I believe it was in 2011 and investigated it. And in that same trip, they also investigated the Hanoverville Roadhouse as well. So the Sun Inn is apparently very haunted. And the ghost hunters what they were looking for was evidence of a little girl who allegedly resides in the attic there and so what they heard were footsteps upstairs when no one was up there and they also heard what sounded like a little girl's voice and using all their gadgets they recorded some evps that's electronic voice phenomenons of a girl giggling Mm. And when they were up in the attic, they registered some thermal readings where the girl was supposedly sitting 
And there have also been sightings of an older woman in a white apron there at the Sun Inn and a younger woman believed to have been a nurse who died there in the late 1800s. So ghost hunters concluded that this was an intelligent haunting by the little girl. So there are several different types of hauntings. Intelligent means they interact with people. They're aware that you're there and they can interact with you. They can maybe tug on your clothing, touch your hair, you know, touch you, you know, so they're aware they, and they're trying to make contact with you to let you know that they are there as well. So they've concluded that this was an intelligent haunting by her, but she seems happy there. She doesn't, she's not out to harm anyone. Again, she's playful. And the Sun Inn also has been investigated by several paranormal investigation teams and has been deemed very haunted. In fact, one of the most haunted sites, even more so than the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philly, they claim. Wow. So that, that's pretty interesting. It would be um, cool if like restaurants had like, almost like with their ratings, you know, for like the Zagat guy. Five very stars. Very haunted when you walk in. Four like. stars haunted, five stars cuisine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. The other type of haunting that I just wanted to touch on is residual. And there are, there's poltergeist, there's demonic, and there's intelligent and residual. Residual is basically the apparition does not know you're there. It's, it's almost like a recording or, you know, that's playing back. You know, and a lot of times it happens when there's like a tra- traumatic event that happened. The energy um, it's, is the sort of energy, right? It's sort of like this burst of negative energy, and it just kind of replays itself and replays itself. They don't try to interact with you. They don't know you're there. You know, and it's just sort of a repetitive thing. Like, like um, you'll hear stories of, oh, I've seen the lady in white who walks up the staircase. You know, and but she doesn't interact with anyone. That's a residual haunting but this little girl is intelligent because she does interact with people and we won't talk about the demonic ones no we won't none, none of <laughs> no, the restaurants we're not gonna are d- no or no. anywhere close to no, that no 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 but no. um but yeah that's not a good one <laughs> no we're not going to talk about that <laughs> did you now i'm curious in in researching the sun and did you run across anything about the tunnels that are supposed to be underneath there because no when nothing... i was a kid there were all these rumors that there right. were tunnels right. from underneath the sun in and i guess that is because of the french and indian war right they had created them to either hide in or evacuate sure. you know, the building from and they supposedly they led down sort of to near where the Monocacy Creek was. Because right. if you know where downtown Bethlehem is, it's sort of up on a hill on an escarpment above mm-hmm. the creek. And that's where the inn is. It's sort of at a high point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there were all kinds of stories about those tunnels. Oh yeah, so. yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, nothing came up in these stories about the tunnels. But yeah, I mean, if, you've li- if you live in Bethlehem or you spend time in Bethlehem, you always hear stories about the tunnels underneath and apparently it's a very large network of tunnels mm-hmm. but yeah i i'm yeah that would be interesting to uh, read up on I, I, nothing I'd, came up I'd in be my research know anything like that mm-hmm. exists or ever existed mm-hmm. i mean maybe it doesn't exist today but did it exist you mm-hmm. know 250 years ago mm-hmm. right that's something that that i have not seen much written about and mm-hmm. um yeah that'll be an interesting interesting topic so none of none of the ghosts are associated with the famous 
people that slept there, right? Like the not that the I saw, and... right? No, none that I saw. You know, they were probably just there for a night or two and right. moved on. Where these ghosts probably had more of a you know a long term connection with the place, or maybe died there. You know, and none of these famous people passed away there. So. And on the topic of of historic preservation. The Sun Inn was almost lost in the mm-hmm. 70s. Yes, it had right. It had deteriorated mm-hmm. over time. It was no longer the you know fine hotel it right. once was. Right, right. And it was a community effort that saved it and returned it to its appearance today, mm-hmm. which is that of a colonial era building. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's such a great addition to Main Street. The walls are like oh, three feet thick or amazing. something. Amazing, yeah. Mean, they're, they're massive. Yes. Like, it's built like a fortress. So. Yeah, yeah. And it is open as a restaurant. Yes, it is. It is. You, it can, is. Go you can take tours. Yes. I'm sure they they talk about the hauntings. I think they do. Yeah, I don't think that they're, um, you know, trying to keep it a secret. Yeah, I'm actually going to be going there pretty soon, I think. So I'll have to... you'll have to report back, Investigate a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's in downtown Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. Well, let's zip over right here to Hellertown. How how does that sound? Yeah. (laughs) So the next restaurant we'd like to talk about is Braveheart. I've eaten there. It's fantastic. I know you, you've eaten mm-hmm. there. Beautiful. They did a beautiful job renovating it. It was previously the Hellertown Hotel. And Josh, you're, you're probably better up to speed than I am on the history. I could not find much about the history. But was it the Eagle Hotel before mm-hmm. that? Okay. It was, a, it was built as the Eagle Hotel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, so it's always been a restaurant okay. and hotel. Okay. Although when it was... In the later years of it being the Hellertown Hotel, I think it was more like, you know, short-term housing than a hotel. Sort of like, yeah, like they call it a flop house. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. It's an impolite term. But yeah, yeah, it was for people who were maybe a little down A little down on their luck, sure. Yeah, it was was a cheap room for a night or two and... Right, yeah. and that was until the early 2000s, oh, and then wow. Andy Lee, the, the present owner, who has Scottish ancestry okay. himself, he purchased it, I think, in 2006, okay. uh, and then totally renovated the building from top to bottom. Oh, yeah, he did an amazing gutted. job, yeah. And the first floor is now a beautiful, authentic Scottish pub yes a lot of the woodwork was custom and many of the furnishings were imported from wow. scotland so when you go there you get that that scottish experience oh yeah and i spent a lot of time there over the years but i've not heard too much about hauntings in there mm-hmm. but i think it was built in around 1907 oh, as the okay. eagle, eagle hotel certainly it's it's an old building mm-hmm. and i'll have to do some research there too and <laughs> and uh, talk to i i know a number of the people that work there and a lot of times staff you know will will have good stories oh definitely because they're there so much or right they're there you know at odd times odd hours when you might be able to observe hauntings sure. more easily later the lights are out you know yeah right. definitely yeah well some of the history that i could find was that after the Hellertown Hotel closed, it was empty for a while. And allegedly, there was a homeless man who used it as a shelter. I'm sure there were more than one <laughs> who um, found their way in. But there was a certain homeless man who uh, used it as a shelter. And then one morning, someone entered the building and they found him deceased in one of the upper rooms. Mm. And 
Apparently, he had been there for quite a while. Ooh. Yeah, so employees have said that they've heard voices, and there's a female apparition that's said to have been seen wandering the grounds. And then in the restaurant area, this apparition was said to have been seen walking into a wall and then disappearing. Mm. And then it was found out that there had been a doorway in that spot previously where she had walked through. So oh. that was pretty weird. So it, that almost seems like a residual. Yeah. Like she's repeating something she had done many times, walking through that doorway where there's not a doorway there anymore. So yeah, I, I couldn't find too much about the hauntings, but it is considered to be haunted. They did have an investigation there by City Lights Paranormal Society, so shout out to them. I got some of my information from them. And they went in for an investigation and uh, apparently Braveheart was very welcoming to them and you know, gave them full access to the building. So. So they did find that it was indeed haunted. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I should just mention that there are a number of places in Saucon Valley, other restaurants that are in very old buildings mm -hmm. and, and sort of have a reputation, including the Beethoven Wall Time. Oh, yeah. Although I don't think it's open right now because it's been for sale okay. recently. But that's part of that building dates from the 18th century and other buildings like the uh, former tavern house that's an 18th century building i'm mm. not sure oh, right. if they have yeah. any legends you know right. of, of hauntings there but i i could see that you know mm -hmm. being the case because right. it's so old so yeah i mean this this area has a rich rich history very rich that. history well would you like to move on to Easton now? Yeah. Let's mosey on over. <laughs> Let's travel over to Easton. So we'll we're going to be... Take the Hexen Cop for us. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to be on Route 611 in Easton for what is now called the Iron Mule. But originally it was called the Black Horse Inn. And then it was Stemmy's Place. So this is right along the river. So yes, like. right along the river. Yes, yes. It is over 200 years old. It was built in 1783, but our ghost is not that old. This is a story about prohibition and mobsters. Mm. Yes. One of my favorite eras. <laughs> then you'll like this story. So on July 22nd, 1928, there was a mobster there. He was known as Johnny... I apologize for this. This was what they called him. This is not acceptable nowadays, but he was called Johnny the Wop Ferrara. Okay, because you know, mobsters all have to have like right. nicknames like Jimmy the Chin, you know, so right. and so. And so that was his, that's what he went as. His name was, I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, but Severio Damiano, aka Johnny the Wop Ferrara. So he was enjoying a meal at the Black Horse Inn when he was brutally gunned down by an unknown suspect. So around 9 p.m., he went to make a phone call in the pub's phone booth. Remember those phone booths? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how you know it's an older story. Right. When a gunman came in and opened fire on the room, he fell down the nearby steps and into the basement where he crawled into a corner and then died, later died. This seemed to be an organized mob hit and everyone who was in the restaurant just scattered and fled. Um, and let me guess, later they didn't see anything, they didn't hear They know anything. nothing, they saw nothing, they heard nothing. <laughs> well, I think you're right, because Ferrara's body was not discovered until two days later. 
by a delivery man. So no one said anything. (laughs) It's not like they all ran and made a police report. I really think you're right. Nobody shooting. What? I don't know. I (laughs) I heard nothing. Yeah, that seems to be the case because he wasn't discovered till two days later by a delivery man. The murder's never been solved. Several people were suspects, but no one was ever charged or convicted. And a proper motive was never really determined, so it remains unsolved. So shadow figures are often reported there, and items move around, especially in the kitchen. The apparition of a large black dog has been spotted multiple times on the basement steps. And dogs are said to act very strangely and hostile on the property. Hmm. Yeah, the apparition of a little girl has also been seen on the property. And apparently she's one of many little girl apparitions that are spotted in various buildings along this canal. And it's believed that she drowned in the canal at some point, but nobody really knows who she is. Hmm. Yeah, so that's the story of of, uh, the Iron Mule. Well, a few things occur to me hearing that, and I've never heard that story before. That's fascinating. I mean back in the 20s this that would have been a very sort of isolated you know place mm-hmm. and even today sure you know it's sort of it's rural yeah you know so probably if if it was somebody sent from new york or philadelphia mm-hmm. maybe new york wherever he was based you know they knew that the police would have like a limited presence in yes. a place like rural pennsylvania correct and that would you know be a, a better place to commit a gangland style killing right because who's right. going to investigate it exactly so yeah i might i might have to look up go on to newspapers.com and look ah. up some stories about that one yes that sounds like i'm a, sure you'll find something there on newspapers.com yeah have you been to that restaurant i have or? yeah when it was stemmy's place back oh, okay. oh this is probably 20 or so years ago 20 25 years ago and it was really nice we had a lovely meal they had jazz jazz music at Mm. night they had a jazz singer and a band it was great we had a really nice evening there was it real jazz or was it the jazz of the prohibition era (laughs) like just wafting through ah time portal (laughs) yes i don't know (laughs) good question you get carried Mm. away with this stuff (laughs) no i've never been there but i know exactly where it is Mm -hmm. and, and it looks like like the kind of place that would be a great place to stop and, mm-hmm. and have a drink or a yeah. meal and yeah it looks cool now the the uh the iron mule it mm-hmm. is now and so if you go down the delaware river further i mean there are many great restaurants oh yeah and old yes old buildings because the river was you know a major transportation route yes from the 1700s so i'm sure you you could you know especially down into bucks county mm-hmm. i'm sure many of them have reputations and so stories to speak. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like, not necessarily you know paranormal stories but just oh, such yeah. rich histories yeah 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 it's a great area well we're gonna jump over now to Stockertown because that's not too far from Easton no so we're gonna talk about Widow's Tavern and Grill which for many years was formerly Widow Brown's right right Widow Brown's so they're not really sure of the exact age of the building. So they believe it's more than 200 years old. And 
they a lot of this information was taken right from their website oh, so they're cool. embracing the the ghost and the, yeah. the haunting which i think is really fun and cool you know even the owner of the place isn't 100 percent sure how old it it is but the fact that it was once a stagecoach stop probably puts it at more than 200 years old and it's a beautiful again a beautiful lovely old building lots of history so this place is apparently haunted by a ghost named Marvin okay and as the story goes a man named Marvin worked at the inn when it was a stagecoach stop and Marvin fell in love with one of the ladies who also worked at the inn the owner at the time didn't like their forbidden affair and Marvin was fired from his job at the tavern and so here's where the story gets a little bit fuzzy we don't know exactly who or what or why or what happened or anything but we do know that marvin was found hanging in the back stairway of the tavern a short time later whether he was hung or he hung himself is lost to history we don't know but he's still there he continues mm. to hang around stories of white shadows locked doors opening mysterious men drinking out of old beer steins the turning of doorknobs noises from the second floor marvin is still around so he doesn't seem harmful he seems pretty harmless and playful that's what i heard right and a, a friend of mine i i have never been there myself i'd like to go but a friend of mine this was a couple years ago went there i think it was like a girl's night out and they were at the bar and she said it was like their phones were possessed like their you know different letters were like appearing oh, they weren't wow. they weren't like even touching them really right like, but like the screen was like filling up with letters interesting i bet that was marvin trying to get a message across <laughs> <laughs> maybe he fell in love with one of those young ladies it could be. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like a ladies man you know yeah flickering lights they hear you know yeah so marvin i wonder if the ghosts don't know their ghosts in some cases mm, you know right. or they just miss, you know, the being a, a, a human and being able mm -hmm. to have a drink at the bar, right. <laughs> flirt with the ladies, and right, right. You know, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it's fun that they embrace it and they have it on their website. And you yeah, know. we were well, we were talking about this earlier and, and how it's interesting how I think more places are doing that now. Yeah, maybe at one time there was a stigma sure. about being haunted and yep. you know business owners can be a little bit prickly about that mm -hmm, you know like mm -hmm. well you know what ghost you know but i think i think today i mean especially with all the shows about ghost hunting oh, yeah, that are on tv very I mean, popular now yeah i mean yeah. If, if you had one of those shows contact your restaurant and want to do a, a segment there i think you'd probably jump at the chance mm -hmm. you know definitely it's, it's great marketing just people more people are are intrigued i think by yes. the idea of a place being haunted than would might would maybe be scared away oh absolutely and it's i don't think it's going to keep anybody away you know i no. think non-believers will just be like oh yeah sure it is and they're going to go anyway but people who are intrigued might go just because of that and yeah. and also yeah in most in most cases the spirit that's haunting the, these types of establishments seems to be like a mischievous right. type of spirit. Right. It's not, 
you know malicious or tripping people like that. You sure know, or, right right you know, <laughs> they may trip but that maybe they had one too many like, <laughs> <laughs> right blame it on the ghost <laughs> yeah right yeah well that that's a good segue to the next restaurant which is the hanoverville roadhouse because as i mentioned earlier the ghost hunters did visit there when they hit the sun in as well and they have embraced it (laughs) they do ghost tour nights at their Mm -hmm. place where you can do a ghost tour in their place they have nights with psychic mediums they bring in psychic mediums there so they have gone all in they totally Mm. embrace it and what's really fun is with all the restrictions on restaurants for the past year and a half and they had to make changes to the seating they had a space patrons out some of the tables had to stay empty at the tables that they couldn't seat guests at they would put skeletons seated at the oh, tables wow. That's pretty <laughs> yeah clever. so i thought and you can see that i think there's pictures of it on their website they would have skeletons seated at the, at the tables in their restaurant where the patrons <laughs> couldn't sit Wow. yeah and they've also just gotten one of those 12 foot skeletons that they put outside and they're currently... So is this an inflatable or... No, I don't think it's inflatable. Because I'm trying to picture what a 12-foot skeleton is. It's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, they're not inflatable, is it, is I don't it like believe. like glow in the dark or something? Or? No, I don't think they glow in the dark, but some places like light them. They have them lit up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Maybe you have to take a little drive out that way. To... Yeah, there's a bunch of them around the Lehigh Valley now. In it's, fact... It's a... a popular Halloween item right it now. is so there is currently a 12-foot skeleton tour that you can take and Lehigh Valley with love podcast has a map on their website and we can <laughs> that, link to that yeah 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 please do it's pretty fun it shows you all the places that they know of in the Lehigh Valley that have these 12-foot skeletons yeah why 12 feet though? I don't Why know. Not 11 or <laughs> and th- I think 13 they, would be yeah, unlucky. 13 you know? would be more appropriate, but they sell them at like one of the Home Depot or oh, one of those stores. Okay. They sell them and they people have just <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah, they've become pretty popular. Yeah, yeah. So check it out. Yeah, it's really fun. So Hanoverville Roadhouse has one. They are currently running a contest now to name it. Oh. So if you go on their Facebook page, you can enter, if you have a fun or clever name for it, enter it in the comments on their Facebook page. And if they choose your name, the name that you've come up with, you will win a $25 gift card for their restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, I love it when places do that. Mm -hmm. They're, like you said, embracing the the hauntedness and doing it in smart ways. Very smart very and very fun, very interactive. Yeah, yeah. So they are apparently very haunted. So it was built in 1825 as a stagecoach stop, but over the years it was also used as a post office, a general store, an inn, a brothel, and Mm. a biker bar. (laughs) And so in the 70s, they also put a stage in there and Tiny Tim played there. He had sold so many tickets, they had to reinforce the floors of it oh my God. because the crowd Only was in the so 70s. big. I know, I know. Only in the 70s, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so apparently it's the home of a ghost of a young boy. And the people who have seen him all say that he looks very sad and he's often standing there with his head down. He is an intelligent haunting. He interacts with people. He's said to tap people on their legs or arms 
and he's also been known to visit the owner who lives in the building at night. It was, like I said, investigated by ghost hunters, and they were able to hear a young child's whimpering, and they've heard footsteps. And so they said that they believe they, that the ghost, that ghost might be a residual haunting, though, mm. because they were not able to make contact or have any interaction with him. But I have read that he is said to tap people on their legs and, and arms. So, but apparently it's it's very haunted. But they don't know how he how he might have died. They don't know who he is. What his attachment right. nope. is to the mm-hmm. building. Nope. I mean, um, it had all these iterations. So, you know, who knows? Right. It's a it's a cool structure. I mean, if you look at it, it doesn't look like it's been altered very much mm-hmm. over the right. past two hundred years. Right. Which I like because it it just you know you feel like you're going right back to the past oh so. yeah yeah i love it about and that. i have eaten there it's been yeah quite, i have too while, it's, it was great food yeah. yeah really great food i mean you know people may have lived there as well because when it was a general store maybe the owner had rooms above you know and lived there with his family or whatever mm-hmm. like the postmaster when it was a post office may have lived there so there may have been families that lived there mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah and it's if you're not familiar where it is, it's, with where it is, it's on Hanoverville Road, mm-hmm. which runs from east to west, uh, north of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of in between 512 and 191. 191, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yep. not far away. Not at all. And there are many more places that didn't make the list. Many more. There were so many. I had to narrow the list down. There is one more that I wanted to talk about. Now, this place has been closed for a long time, but it's still standing. And this is Magnolia's Vineyard in Orfield. This is the only place I had not eaten at, but it's a, a beautiful old building. I didn't do a lot of research on how old it was, but it was definitely around during the Civil War because that's when our story takes place of who Magnolia is. Magnolia Evans was the daughter of a Union Major General, and one day she found a wounded Confederate soldier in the vineyard behind the house, and she secretly nursed him back to health. During this time, she fell in love with him. That was a forbidden romance back that, then, oh, as yeah, you that, can imagine. That was a no-no. <laughs> so uh, she nursed him back to health, and when he left to return to his duties, he swore that he'd return to her after the war, and she also swore that she'd wait for him. And so when the war ended, she waited for him by the Jordan Creek, which runs alongside of this building. And she waited, and she waited, and she waited, and she waited, and he never returned. And people say that they still see her by the creek waiting, and she wanders the grounds waiting. Wow, that's mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, it's a really sad story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I never ate there, but I did go there maybe about, oh, I would say maybe nine years ago by now, and it was already closed by that time. And, and where is it roughly? So it's in Orfield, and I can't remember what road it's on, but you can look it up and you can find all that information. It's yeah. still listed. You but know it's, why it closed? Well, I did read that one of the owners, I think the last owners, were arrested for having a marijuana growing operation. Uh-oh. So I don't know if that had anything to do with <laughs> the closing of the restaurant. But it's an absolutely beautiful old building. It doesn't look like there was much done to update it or anything. It's still 
has a lot of its original beauty and charm. Mm. When I was there, you could look in the windows. So I, I looked through the front the front door window, and you could see into the, the little foyer there, and I was looking through the windows. It was pretty run down at that time. Mm. And like I said, I'm going to guess that was probably about maybe nine years ago. Hmm. Um, so I don't know what it looks like now, if the windows are boarded up now at this point, but it's still standing. I feel like maybe 20 or more years ago, yeah, it had a, a regional reputation. Mm-hmm. It was a destination oh, yeah. type restaurant where people yes. would go, because it's a little out of the way. It is. Uh, but they yes. would go there specifically to eat there. Yes. And so that's a shame that it's... it's been sitting there that long empty and i don't it's very strange because i don't think it's up for sale it was up for sale years ago and i don't even see any listings now for it even being for sale i don't know what what's going on (laughs) yeah maybe that's it but she again she doesn't seem malicious or anything she's just it's almost like a residual Mm -hmm. like a residual haunting like she's just seen repeating that action of you know walking by the creek walking by the creek so right yeah yeah wow i love that name magnolia yeah Yeah. i know it's very evocative yes olden times yeah yeah no uh that's that's a great story Mm -hmm. well we would love it if our listeners or anyone hearing this who has a story maybe their own experience dining somewhere in the lehigh valley or beyond shared that with us you can always message us on Facebook or shoot me an email and I'll share it with Ellen. Yeah, I'd love that. Because you're always interested in finding out, finding new stories. Always, yes. Like you said, I mean, the great thing about about most of these restaurants is they're still open, they're mm-hmm. accessible. Yep. So you can go and, you know, visit them, have, have, have a meal. Have a meal, have The a bonus drink. might be that you yeah. have a... <laughs> a guest with you that you know absolutely especially this time of year yeah as they say the veil is getting thinner so (laughs) this time of year and you'll be supporting local restaurants and they really need it yeah right now yes yeah yes we haven't heard as much about that in the last few months but it's going to be ongoing because Mm -hmm. you know many people their patterns changed you know due mm-hmm. to covid and you know while some restaurants are thriving i think there are certainly many that you know haven't returned to their pre-pandemic mm-hmm. levels so very much yeah so we want to support them and halloween is a great time we'll be sure to uh include some links to these restaurants i'm sure many of them will be having special events mm-hmm. you know tied in with halloween maybe halloween parties or, yep. or whatnot that's also a great reason to go out and check them out well thank you so much ellen it's been a pleasure thank you you thank you for having me this is really fun i really enjoy this next year we'll have to do uh haunted uh i was gonna say amusement parks but there aren't too many (laughs) to go around in in this area there is one apparently (laughs) allegedly (laughs) but um or haunted caves maybe Mm. (laughs) there's so many directions you can go in with so many topics and uh and yeah, that's why I needed to narrow it down to like a theme. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it helped. Oh, definitely. Well, it's it's been great and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Thank you. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to to hear your feedback about what we're doing, what makes you tune in every week, 
what ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Saucon Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening.